Hey fellow nerds, I'm Megan Smiley and this is the Lawyer's Escape Pod. For those of you who've gotten into practice, looked around and thought, so this is my life? I get it. You're in deep and you feel stuck. You may have no idea what the next step would be, or maybe you have an idea, but think it's unrealistic. I truly believe that there's a path forward for each of us if we're intentional about finding it. And this podcast will be a great source of advice and inspiration for you to make that leap to a more fulfilling career. Hey guys. So my guest today is Rob Bertman. He is a senior consultant at Student Loan Planner. Uh, Rob talks to us about how it is actually possible to manage your student loans around your life rather than having them dictate what your options are. Um, I know that this is a big issue for a lot of us. So, you know, we get into even how it's possible to have a runway for starting your own business while carrying loans, if that's something you dream of. Um, and if there's one message I really hope gets through from this conversation is just that you are not as trapped as you may think, and you do have options. It's just a matter of tackling the issue head on. Um, you know, identifying those things that keep us stuck, whether it's financial or other, um, and strategizing a way through those blocks is just so important. Um, and it is one of the modules of this group program that I'll be launching soon. You know, unless you dress these issues, you just kind of spin in that space of feeling trapped and it's just kind of endless and hard to break through. But like with so many things, sort of once you take the time to wrap your head around it and sort of bit by bit tackle that monster, you're more empowered and your options open up, which is just all that I want for you guys is to be able to dream big about that next step rather than kind of like, Wah, wah, I guess I'll just try and find something marginally better than this. <laughs> it's just not very <laughs> exciting. Um, you know, and there is this path to more. And I'm really excited to help support you through it. So if you want to hop on the VIP waitlist, I'm linking it in the show notes. You'll get all the details and the best pricing and bonuses before the official launch. Um, and yeah, now let's jump into my conversation with Rob. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Megan. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so why don't we start with you giving us a short introduction about yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Rob Bertman. I work for a company called Student Loan Planner, and we advise people with six-figure student debt to try to figure out the best repayment strategy so they can fit their you know, careers, uh, you know, so they can fit their student debt repayment strategy around their careers rather than having their student loans dictate sort of their career their career path. So um, we work with a bunch of attorneys and, and lawyers amongst other professions too. And overall, we've done over a billion, uh, advised on over a billion dollars of student debt for more than 5,000 individual clients. Yeah. Well, I think that's great because I think, you know, I'm sure from working with all these people, <laughs> it's clear to you that a lot of lawyers are trapped by real or perceived limitations of carrying their their student loan debt um, in terms of sort of how that plays into their future career options. So I know there are a lot of a lot of people who could benefit from this conversation. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I want to take sort of a a different tack with this, which is to specifically talk about people who might be interested in starting their own business, whether that is going out on their own and starting 
their own law firm or taking a total hard left and going off to do something else. I hear a lot from people that that is just sort of fundamentally impossible for them to to plan to do that while also carrying any student debt. And I'd love to hear from you sort of what your thoughts are on that and what ways one might manage that. Yeah, I mean, there, the good news is that there are a lot of ways to manage it. So for anyone who has federal student loans, so issued by the federal government, there are so many different ways to pay back debt based upon not only how much you owe, but also how much you make. Mm -hmm. So um, there's what's called income-driven repayment, which makes one of the ways that student debt is unlike any other kind of debt, like mortgage debt, car debt, credit card debt. Student debt operates by like a totally different set of rules. Yeah. And what that does, although it is confusing, uh, like on the, like, like it looks really confusing. There, it actually means that there's a lot of flexibility in how lawyers, especially if they want to leave big law or, you know, leave their firm and go start their own practice and maybe have a dip in income for a short period of time, they actually can design a plan to pay back their loans around that and lower their payments while they're in the process of building up their next, their next journey. Yeah. And sort of what are what are the downsides of that in, in terms of what are the trade-offs that would need to be made in order to, you know, reduce or eliminate your student loan payments, you know, for some period of time? Well, let me back up and just say that there, there are really yeah. two ways to go about paying back student loans. So yeah. you either want to go all out, super duper aggressive, you know, sort of refinance at the lowest interest rate and pay back the loans as fast as you can. That's sort of the traditional way to approach really any kind of debt. Um, and for anyone who has private student loans, that's the only option. Mm -hmm. uh, with federal student loans, if someone owes, uh, the ratio we use is one and a quarter times their income or less. So let's just say an attorney making 100,000 with $125,000 of debt or less, mm -hmm. they can take that aggressive approach and probably be okay. Uh -huh. But if you have someone who's starting their own firm or maybe they have $200,000 of debt making $100,000, then we might want to go the other approach. Instead of the aggressive approach, sometimes they can actually make things more affordable, reach their financial goals, reach their career goals if they go into the income-driven repayment path, which is basically doing everything you can legitimately to keep your payments as low as possible. And after the end of 20 or 25 years of payments, um, you whatever's left over gets forgiven. And right now, the forgiveness is taxable. But over time, it can reduce payments so much so that they can, you know, go buy a house or invest in their business or, you know, save for retirement and kind of get a leg up on their other career and financial goals while servicing their student loan debt until it's eventually forgiven in 20 to 25 years. Yeah. So with those two paths in mind, um, you know, it's kind of like choose your own adventure. So if someone's working for big law, let's just say, you know, working for big law and making $250,000 with bonuses and um, they owe $200,000 of debt, if they're planning to stay there, then they can take a more aggressive approach and pay off the loans. And unless there's some unique situation that would probably save the most money. But if someone's making 250 and they think that they're going to drop to, you know, 50,000 for the first year, 100,000 the second year, they might want to temporarily pause the aggressive repayment, go to, you know, the income driven repayment so they can work on building their business without putting their loans in forbearance or deferment and mm -hmm. having the interest capitalized, just sort of going that route and sort of, temporarily like putting the student debt to the side so they can focus on building their business up. Right. So I'm curious sort of what your experience is working with lawyers, because I, th I think there's this sort of 
whether it's probably not rational, but emotional, you sort of, you present these like two very logical alternative paths that people can take, but do people sort of emotionally react that the, the path of sort of lowering your payments and with the intention of sort of paying what you can for the 20, 25 years and then having it um, be forgiven is what is people's reaction to that option? Cause it feels to me from the people I talk like that, that that's scarier to them. It, it can be scarier because yeah. I mean, it's unless someone actually can take a look at the numbers, which is what we help people do yeah. is examine what does the path actually look like? How would your monthly payments be as your income grows? And what does your loan balance do as it grows? And what, how much of the payment difference is at that versus, um, you know, versus an aggressive approach? And what else could you do with the money? So right. we, we, we can use sort of a net worth calculation and stuff like that to figure out that actually someone doing that path, if they're saving and investing for the long term instead, can actually end up in a better net worth position in 20 years than if they had paid off the debt aggressively within 10 years. Yeah. Um, and But until you kind of see the numbers, and like I said, student debt is so much different than any other kind of debt, right. that it is bizarre. Like when I started working for Student Loan Planner back in 2017, so you know over three years ago, yeah. and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a certified financial uh, planner, CFP, I'm a chartered financial analyst. I used to do investment analysis and securities uh, evaluation and analysis. So I'm a numbers person. Yeah. And I remember learning this concept about income-driven repayment. And even I was like, what on earth? What? Right. This doesn't make sense to me. Is <laughs> that how my but, credit card works? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and, but after looking at the numbers and doing, I mean, I've, I'm almost at a thousand consoles just on my yeah. own. Um, and I also on the side help people with budgeting in another business I have called Family Budget Expert mm-hmm. when I'm not doing student loan stuff that I can see that actually freeing up that extra money in the form of, you know, a lower payment and letting the loan balance sort of not go down as aggressively as it, that, that people actually do end up in a better situation. Yeah. They can breathe, you know, they can, they can, and, and, and knowing that, um, that they have the flexibility that if they do want to take the leap out of big law or some other type of stable law position and start their own firm or start like a solo practice or, or some other type of career move, yeah. that that's actually okay and that the numbers can actually yeah. work out to be better for them. I think it's so encouraging to hear someone who knows the numbers say that because I think, you know, it's funny about lawyers is you think like a lot of lawyers would also be numbers people, but actually that is not true <laughs> by and large. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think um, I find that there's there's almost a fear of even looking at it because it's like this big, scary number that people don't want to deal with. And they just feel the weight of, of kind of being limited by it. Um, and so I want them to like, be sure that they're hearing this, that they don't have to be trapped by that. And it's not necessarily even a negative trade-off that it is. And it makes sense to me. I mean, think about the opportunity cost of that money where it could be invested, whether it's in your own business or somewhere else, right? It's not black and white that it would be better to pay it off aggressively, your loans. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, the average, we've done almost 300 consults, individual consults for lawyers and, and attorneys. And, you know, the average set that we see is about $227,000. So, yeah. um, you know, now if there's someone who, there is an alternative though. Okay. So if someone yeah. is like, if it's hard to, to grasp that concept or they're not comfortable with it, yeah. the, the, the contingency plan is always just save up aggressively on the side. Right. And you can always reach over and pay off the debt if you're saving enough on the side. Um, but I can tell you that um, 
you know, m- most, most, you know, like doctors, dentists, veterinarians, you know, pharmacists, chiropractors, I mean, they, they spend so much time in training and in work that, you know, having a specialist who deals with specifically with this can really, really help. Yeah. Um, you know, no matter what type of law you practice, that you have a subspecialty even within law. And even within financial professionals, there's a subspecialty, you know, for people who focus on student debt like us right. that really know this cold. You know, if, if like someone has a complex estate planning issue, it's not like they should just hire any lawyer. They should hire, you know, a, a full-fledged, you know, estate attorney, yeah. maybe in, in act tech or something like that yeah. um, uh, to, to get it done. And once someone can explain the numbers and you can see it, then that's the way to go. Yeah. Um, but, but ultimately, you know, if, if someone's not comfortable, yeah, like I said, just save up aggressively on the side. Uh, and if you want to reach over at some point or if you have the ability to, you can do that. Yeah. But so, so, but it's, it's either go, it's either go all in. So let's just say that there's a, you know, there's a listener out there, like you're out there listening and you're in a big law firm and you want to tackle your student debt before launching your, your, before launching off on your own mm-hmm. in one way, shape or form or having a career change. Yeah. Well, you have two options. One is you can design your student loan plan to anticipate that. And even though, you know, in the short run, the numbers look different than they will, you know, within three years, you go with that long-term strategy. Yeah. The other thing that you can do is take advantage of that awesome, you know, big law salary, for example, and really take the opportunity to get out of debt yeah. altogether uh, and then make the jump. But, but what I'm saying is, a lot of a lot of attorneys feel like they have to pay off their debt before they can do that. And yeah. with current student loan rules, you don't have to do that. <laughs> you can yeah. make the jump anytime you want, right? Despite how much debt you have. Yeah, and that sort of ties in a little bit to what you're you'd mentioned, sort of your budgeting work. And I think sometimes it's hard because you do have this maybe huge salary, but you'd be surprised how quickly it gets earmarked for, you know, a big mortgage or a kid's school or whatever. So oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so like, how do you advise people who have sort of, um, yeah, they've sort of assumed this level of income, not to pay off their student loans aggressively, but to sort of support a certain lifestyle. How how would you recommend people go around about sort of budgeting to really try and save more to pay that off? I mean, I know yeah, that's a very broad question. <laughs> no, no, but it's a great question yeah. because the, the student loan is one piece of the financial equa- yeah. equation. The budget, I would argue, is the because there's not as much flexibility. If someone has the house, they have the kids in private school, they have yeah. the car payments, that, that is a much less flexible position to be in than having six-figure student debt. Yeah. So you kind of have to like, if someone's thinking about taking the leap, number one, you got to anticipate that things are, income's going to be down a lot longer than you think. That's just rule yeah. number one for anyone who's ever started a business, myself included. You know, it always goes on longer. <laughs> my hand is, I'm expect. like raising my hand over here in the room by myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And it doesn't, it's not like it takes an extra three months. It could take an extra couple of years, yeah. you know, to yeah. get there. And, uh, you know, whenever you hear the stories of people starting their own businesses or going off on their own or having a career change, they sort of talk about it in, oh, the first three years were brutal. But then, you know, yeah. but they kind of glance over those first two to three years and how hard it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and you feel like you're stuck in it and, um, you know, until you, you're out of it. But like whenever you hear any type of entrepreneur story, they always sort of gloss over, you know, the, the two years. 
of, of like really when you're in the moment, how challenging it is. Yeah. So I would say that anyone who's looking to make the leap from a budget standpoint, you kind of have to practice and say, could we do this with less income? Yeah. And could we do this for two years with less income? And so what, what it's all about is, you know, I'm not a big believer that people should uproot their lives unless it, they are so compelled to do that in order to make their, their new mission, their new mission or vision work. Yeah. Um, I, I never advise people taking drastic changes with their budget because they, they will never last. Yeah. Um, but I will, with certainty, <laughs> there will be a financial pinch. So yeah. if anyone from a financial, pers- from just a general financial perspective, the student loans, I would argue it's really, really important to know the long-term strategy based upon what the, the, the trajectory is and how to deal with the dip in income and going out. Like that is really, really important to know yeah. how, to, how to do that. But on the, on the budget side, like I said, you have to practice. Number one, need a cash cushion. And I'm, ta- I'm not talking three months. I'm talking more like six months of cash. Yeah. Um, because, and maybe even more than that. Uh, if you can make it happen in a in a fast manner. Yeah. So yet again, another reason to maybe pick a student loan strategy to keep your payments low so that you can build up that cash cushion. Because the last thing that someone wants to do is make this big leap and then have to quit too soon. <laughs> because right. they don't right. they run out of money, you know? Um so you have to build up the cash. You have to practice living on a on a a budget where you're spending less on a monthly basis. And so the number one place to start is just knowing the numbers. So I never advise that people start with a budget. I always advise people start by tracking their spending. Yeah. So for it's example, enlightening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And, yeah. And, and a lot of people avoid it, but I mean, in, for example, let's just say someone wants to spend $800 a month on food between groceries and dining out. Well, if you're spending a thousand dollars a month, that's doable. But yeah. if you're spending $2,000 a month on food, that's, that's a huge, huge change. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's a much more drastic change. And at the end of the day, our spending habits are their habits, you know, so we have to change habits, which can be hard work to do in the, on the offset. Right. So, um, so anyway, getting the student loan in order, practicing, you know, tracking spending and then practicing living on that lower income, which will help because practicing living on that lower income will help have extra money to build up that cash cushion so that you don't have to quit quitting too early. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then and then and then also um once you do have that lower income for the get go, which no matter what you think out there, it's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. Um and if it doesn't, you're one of the, the unicorns out there. Um so so that's that's really, really important to track spending, live as if you're making what you're gonna be making your first year. Yeah. And take the opportunity to build up the cash cushion. Um and then and then, you know, making sure that the student loan plan can fit around that so that it enables you to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's interesting because people, there are ways to do this, It's not, but no one's promising that it's going to be like easy, <laughs> right? It's not necessarily <laughs> the, you know, most comfortable or easy, but ultimately you have a choice, right? You, you sort of follow that path. You, you know, figure out a way to, to build your cash cushion and manage your debt or you don't. <laughs> and that's a choice too. And that's fine. But I think people feel as if they actually don't have a choice. This is just like a lawyer mentality thing is I just think um, it's so important to know that there are options that people do have choices in this um, if they want yeah. to pursue it. Absolutely. I mean, and one, and one thing that, that is a, a major asset in this for lawyers is the, the, the way that lawyers are constantly looking for the downside, you know, and protection against <laughs> yeah. the downside, right? Yeah. I mean, 
you know, I'll, someone told me once, you know, a legal contract is only as good as the person who's willing to enforce it, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I could have a legal contract with somebody, but unless I'm going to enforce it, it almost doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and then, but, but I want to have all the contingencies in there just in case I want to enforce it. And so when, when someone's looking to change, make a career change, you have to think about what could happen. One of the things is not making enough money in a, in a, as fast as you think you're going to. So you plan for that contingency. Yeah. Um, another thing could be, um, well, you know, what do I need? What, what do I need to get in order before I do this? It's kind of like to use the estate planning analogy again, you know, a lot of parents, they don't really take a look at estate planning until they're about to make, take like an international trip, you know? Yeah. yeah right. Um, not that anyone's doing that these days, but <laughs> I know. Soon, uh, but, but you know, they're, they're like, oh, I want to get my estate plan in place because we're traveling to, you know, to, in, I don't know, to right. Australia or New Zealand and in the next year, we really want to get this locked down. Yeah. So that same type of preparation mindset that attorneys are so great at yeah. should be used and applied for. And the good news is once you know what to expect and you plan for all the downside contingencies and all that stuff, then you can feel comfortable moving yeah. ahead. Yeah. It's really hopeful in, in a way. It's that this, you know, use the, the skills that you have to plan. Um, I think the most important thing is to take that first step of, of really diving into your numbers in some way, because I think that's the scariest part. That's the part that keeps people really stuck is just the sort of uh, discomfort or fear about even really giving it a hard look. But it's very encouraging and hopeful (laughs) to know that, you know, if you do, you can then start doing what's easier for you, which is the planning and the execution of that plan. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, pe- people will either move away from pain or towards some type of gain. Yeah. And, but typically, you know, if, some, if someone's in a really super stressful situation with their work and their quality of life is deteriorating, they don't see their family, they don't see their kids, and that's the reason for doing it. Well, that's pretty darn good motivation yeah. to get things in order. Yeah. Um, you know, I say, like, if someone's totally comfortable, they're probably not going to make take all these steps to get prepared for something like that. Right. Um, right. And the other thing is, if someone really has a calling to do something else with their career, you know, to use their legal background and expertise to do something, um, you know, that they feel is more rewarding to them yeah. uh, than what they're currently doing, then then that can be a, a reason to do it. But in my in, in my experience, it's not as motivating as someone who is just like, you know, burning the candle at both ends and their spouse is going crazy because they never see them and, um, you know, they're missing their kids growing up and stuff like that. Yeah. So. Use whatever situation you're in as motivation. And if you're not feeling motivated to do this kind of work, then you probably shouldn't make the move, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's true. You know, I talk to the people I talk to are, are essentially people in that category of whether it's because they are just truly burnt out and it's kind of affecting all areas of their life or they just have come to the conclusion that this work is not aligned for them and they want to do something else, um, even if they're not clear on what that other, but there is that kind of, it is enough motivation building in them to say, I don't want to do this. I just don't. I think lawyers want to have a path <laughs> in front of them to um, to walk along because that's how you become a lawyer. Um, and so when you get to this place of, I know I want to leave, but I'm just not sure what the financial part of that path looks like, it can mm-hmm. be very um, limiting to people. Um, and so, you know, I think 
part of my mission is to to give people some ideas and tools to to get unstuck from the idea that there isn't a path out. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, so let let's take sort of a, a real numbers example of how yeah. the flexible student loan rules can help a lawyer who's trying to make this choice. So let's just say someone's working in big law and they're making, you know, $250,000 and they have $250,000 of student debt or $200,000 of student debt, let's call it. Yeah. So if they're trying to pay off the loan aggressively, their payments are probably going to be around $2,000 a month, plus or minus. Mm -hmm. um, that would be sort of a, to pay off $200,000 over a 10-year period, you need about $2,000 a month to go towards it. I'm just using round numbers for yeah, simplicity. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, if they're federal loans, uh, then, then on an income-driven plan, at that, at that salary of 250000 the payments will be probably about that $2,000 range. Mm -hmm. But also if they were to take an aggressive approach on like the standard plan or, re, you know, or refinancing paid off if they decide to stay in big law, mm -hmm. then payments would be about 2000 Yeah. Um, I don't recommend anyone who's thinking about going into a career change like that where they're going to have a dip in income to, to refinance right now because you're kind of locked in at that point of paying back the debt in full without this kind of flexibility hmm. that I'm about to talk about. Okay. So let's just say that someone decides to quit and they're going to, they're going to, leave their their company making 250 in the summertime so let's call it june 1st yeah and on june 1 when they leave their company they're lo no longer making an income and they can if they're on an income driven repayment plan like pay as you earn or you know revised pay as you earn or income based repayment all those are called income driven repayment plans they're only based on your income mm -hmm. well if you're if you're making zero then you can switch to one of these income-driven repayment plans if you're not on one on already, and your payment will literally be zero dollars a month. Yeah. Without, without having to put your loans in forbearance or deferment and using that up, like they will literally say, "Oh, you're not making any money. Okay, well, you know, let's make your payment zero. So that right there is, you know, in terms of a budget of two thousand dollars going to student loans, starting your own company, you can get, if if your income is legitimately zero, you yeah. can go down to zero payments. Uh, and even if your income is as low as like 30,000, uh, the payments are zero or about that. Yeah. Um, and so, so that's $2,000 that's cut right out of your spending right there, which yeah. is huge. Yeah. <laughs> so from a student loan standpoint, that's, that's a way to cut $2,000 a month, which after taxes, you know, that's call it $40,000 a salary that you'd have to make to cover that payment after taxes. So you can immediately take a 40, you know that $40,000 of income that you don't have to make anymore to, to pay just for that part of your payment. Right, right. Um, now, there are some things depending on if, you know, if you're married and spousal income situation, and, you know, if they have student debt, there are some other complexities to that. But for the most part, that's how it, that's how it can work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just, um, I think it, you know, knowledge is power, right? So just knowing what, mm -hmm. what your options are, and really, like you said, like running the numbers, because I think, um, people worry that if they don't sort of keep up and pay in a fairly aggressive way, that there's some looming, you know, hit that they're going to take in the future that they don't understand. Yeah. And that's why it's really important to get a, to get, to take a look at these numbers in detail before making the jump. You know, it's kind of like yeah. if you're about to take a, a cross country road trip, you know, you probably want to get your car checked out and it's worth the money to pay the mechanic to say, Yep, everything's looking okay. No leaks. You know, transmission's fine. Your battery is charged. You know, tires are inflated, um, yeah. and that extra cost associated with doing that will actually not only provide you with a safer, like, 
cross-country experience, but it also provides that peace of mind knowing that you can do it without having to worry about, you know, something that, that could happen along the way. Yeah. Same thing with student loan plans. So that makes me think of sort of a transition to a slightly different topic, but related to this is part of the risk I think people see. Risk or possible upside is where does legislation fall into this, right? Could could the law change on how these work to make to to create a risk that you're not aware of now? Or, you know, fingers crossed, more likely in the current environment, <laughs> could what are we looking at in terms of possible you know, loan forgiveness coming down the road? Yeah, it's a great question, Megan. It's one, obviously, that we get a lot these yeah. days. Um, so let, let me just talk. Historically, Congress and, and the presidential administrations have sought over the last 10 years or so, uh, regardless of political party, to make things more accommodating, accommodating to uh, federal student loan, people holding federal student loans. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, uh, one of the biggest changes was when former President Obama was in office and he created public service loan forgiveness, um, or, or that was an act of when he was in, like in the infancy of when he first took office. They came up with um, pay as you earn, which was a much more accommodative income-driven repayment strategy than the prior ICR and IBR plans were. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then even when former President Trump took office, his his plan, which never you know never got passed and never really went there yeah. was uh sort of like a longer term repayment uh with with no taxable forgiveness which was a the no taxable forgiveness was a, a more accommodative thing for student loan borrowers right um and what we've seen is over the course of the last 10 years that any legislation involving student loans that has even hit the floor of of the house or senate for the most part has included grandfathering in whatever someone's currently involved in Okay. So, um, and the repayment, the income-driven repayment options have become mo more and more flexible for borrowers to, and more and more accommodating to make it easier to make payments. There, there has, hasn't really been anything that has made it harder. Yeah. And, you know, just from like a political standpoint, okay, so there's, you know, 45 million people with student debt out there and one, you know, 1.7, 1.8 trillion. We all have seen these numbers yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. Now, the, there's over 3 million people with six-figure student debt out there. And those include doctors, lawyers, dentists, people with means and with a lot of money at stake, yeah. especially lawyers who, yeah. if, trust me, <laughs> if there was any legislative change, you better believe they're going to let their congressperson know right. that they don't like it. Right, right. Um, and just from, from a political capital standpoint and, and uh, political preservation, yeah. you know, it would not be the, the, the congressperson or the senator that goes in, in favor of getting rid of forgiveness or making it harder, right. you better believe they're not going to last very long in office. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's um, a, consist a constituency with with the ability to be heard more so than others. yes, yeah. high income earning, yeah. graduate level people with, yeah. with a lot with six figures of money at stake with these yeah. with potential yeah. cha negative yeah. changes. Yeah. So you combine you combine that with the fact that now the Biden administration is in office, so President Biden is in office, and he's got you know with with uh, Vice President Kamala Harris like. The, the tying vote in the Senate and uh, and the House majority being Democratic, um, we've seen we've heard things all the way from the more progressive wing of the party saying eliminate all student debt to what Biden currently said, where he said he doesn't even support the fifty thousand, but he might support the ten thousand yeah. dollars of, of loan forgiveness. Um, and then you have um, along with that that they pass in this latest stimulus that any type of loan forgiveness. Um, 
aside from public service loan forgiveness, so like normal loan forgiveness over, mm-hmm. the, over the next five years would, would be tax-free. Um, normally, in terms of tax law, anytime there's any loans that are forgiven, unless it's through public service loan forgiveness, yeah. or also known as PSLF, the, you, get, you actually have to pay taxes on that forgiven balance. So like they right. add that forgiven balance to, as income on your yeah. tax return. It's a benefit. It's a taxable benefit. Yeah. It, exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. So, so that legislation alone has been more accommodative. So um, yeah. I will say that we think it's highly unlikely that they're going to eliminate all student debt for everybody. Yeah. Because, you know, for as many people, as big of a problem it is, two thirds of the country, you know, doesn't have a college degree. So right. those two, that two thirds of the country would be very upset if one third of the country who are, you know, college graduates who typically, not all the time, but the averages show make more money, yeah. especially graduate levels. Now they're getting this big break by having all their student debt paid for while, you know, people with high school degrees, more working class people, for the most part, yeah. um, aren't getting that kind of benefit. So yeah. there's sort of this political edge that, that they have to sort of, you know, um, I think if we think that there's any going to be any type of student loan forgiveness, that is going to be more targeted towards you know um, communities of color, towards um, lower wage earners, mm-hmm. uh, and stuff like that, rather than you know uh, the the um, you know big law right. type of attorneys and you know dentists with you know making three hundred thousand dollars and right and it's not poli- it's, even though it's like a real challenge for us it's like understandable also that it's not like necessarily like pulling on the heartstrings of of everybody <laughs> right <laughs> right right um so so there's there's that balance that they have to strike yeah um yeah with with just the the overall and but it you know student debt is a problem yeah so um, we think that there's going to be some sort of targeted loan forgiveness. We do think that, that that there is a possibility that they could come up with a different income-driven repayment option. Mm-hmm. Possibly, you know, Biden's plan when he was running for president, he mentioned something about, um, you know, the lowest payment plan right now based on income is 10% of income. Mm-hmm. And his was 5% of income with no tax bond. So wow. yeah. normally when you pay on like pay as you earn, for example, it's 10% of your income for 20 years and whatever's left over after 20 years gets forgiven and you pay taxes on that forgiven balance. Right. Well, he was talking about 5% for 25 years with no, with no tax bond. Yeah. Um, we think if anything, it's going to be uh, more like uh, 10% of income with no tax bond. Right. So sort of what like the rules that exist. And there have been, there have been bipartisan, or I shouldn't say bipartisan, there have been both sides of the aisle have talked about getting rid of this taxable loan forgiveness. Yeah. So I guess long-winded answer. This yeah, is a really no, long-winded no, answer. No, no, I, I appreciate it, though, because it, it, I think it's, um, yeah, it's comprehensive in terms of, like, you know, basically what lawyers do is re- manage risk, right? So it's trying to understand what the risks are and, yeah. Um, the, yeah. The, the risks, the risks are minimal that they would get rid of the current stuff. Yeah. If anything, based upon historical trends, kind of the punchline yeah. is that if anything, things are probably going to get easier to pay back debt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or at least stay the same. I, and I feel like the, you know, in my view, which maybe represents is the idea of even just having the, the forgiveness in 25 years not be taxable. I, I feel like even if you see the numbers that the, it all adds up, the idea that you have this like taxable, <laughs> you know, something comes due, which isn't, isn't nothing at a certain time in the future. And you're not quite sure where you're going to be at that point in the future, I think probably freaks people out. <laughs> yeah. We call it the tax bomb. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, the good news is that there's, it, yeah. yeah, there's a way to plan yeah. for it. Honestly, it's, it's usually depending on the amount of debt, it's only, I don't want to say only, but yeah. it's, it's, it's usually a lot less than even a thousand dollars a month, you know, for 20 years going into some type of account for the tax bond. It's usually for lawyers, especially it's usually, you know, three, four, $500 a month on top of the student loan payment yeah. to save up for the tax bond. But if they get rid of the tax bomb, then you get to keep that money. Right. Um, and and then um, also, if they get rid of the tax bomb, oftentimes income-driven repayment can mean paying less out of pocket yeah. than even paying it back the old-fashioned way in full over a 10-year period. Like It could actually mean like lower out-of-pocket costs for a lot of people, depending on what their income trajectory looks like and everything and how much debt they owe. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's hopeful. It's, I think, probably very accurate that, people shouldn't be sort of waiting around to plan their lives with the hopes that like a hundred percent of their debt is going to be washed away at some point in the next year. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would agree. I mean, yeah. there would be so much backlash from people. Yeah. Um, but I just paid off my student debt, you know, and, and yeah. now you're giving yeah. everyone else this. And, and besides that, that doesn't, we haven't really talked about this and I'll just touch on it, but yeah. it doesn't solve the problem of skyrocketing tuition. No, I was going to say they, there's, if, a, there's a structural problem here that needs to be solved as well. Yeah. Yeah. If they made repayment more affordable, even more affordable than it is today, and or and if they just eliminated student debt, then you would see uh, tremendous and even higher inflation. And that's one of the that's one of the main things that's come out of this income driven yeah. repayment. One of the side effects is that, you know, the and federal backing of student debt, which, you know, mainly happened in mass in 2010, 2009 and 2010, yeah. is that the universities get paid right away by the federal government. Right. And so, you know, they, they, they have every incentive to fill their seats and and raise tuition. Um, and, uh, you know, without, and they get paid right away. They're yeah. not the ones that have to wait. It's the, it's the federal government that has to wait to get paid back. Yeah. Um, so, so it, 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 anyway, that's it, it is a big structural issue that we need to solve that as well as the student debt problem yeah. of what's outstanding right now. Yeah. I worked at a law school for many years, so I, you know, it's part of the conversation of how 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 you um, you know make that accessible to people, and it's it's all very complicated, but not a problem that we have to solve here today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some schools and some professions are better than most. I would say yeah. law schools in general are better than pharmacy schools or are kind of really, really bad at that veterinary schools, chiropractic schools, chiropractic schools, especially, Yeah, you know, they, there's a real lack of transparency on what people are going to make yeah. and, and what it's going to look like. But, yeah. you know, I think, I think law schools just by nature of the type of people that they're attracting to the schools yeah. and um, how they do that kind of stuff, that they're going to ask those questions uh, yeah. and not, not be susceptible to just sort of saying, okay, you know, without really diving in. Yeah. Particularly now, I think since even post 2008 and the economic downturn and there are fewer jobs and I think people are just there isn't an assumption that you go to law school and come out and everything is hunky-dory for the rest of your life and so I think people are yeah. kind of have wised up to that at least in the legal that's so area. true that's yeah. so true I, I was shocked when I saw the average attorney salary you know versus everyone thinks like every lawyer makes a hundred thousand dollars or more but that's yeah. not at all the case yeah um yeah. especially in certain in certain specialties within law um yeah. And it's yeah. always changing, too. I mean, especially not if you work for the government, <laughs> you know. Right. And and if someone does work for the government, they get public service loan forgiveness. Right. So that's that's another benefit. You could, you could look at that as like a, a, a that is extra compensation for someone who has to do yeah, that. There. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, Rob. Well, um, 
remind us where we can find you again. Yeah. So if you go to studentloanplanner.com slash help, you can uh, read all about what the consult process looks like. Um, we also have on our, if you go to studentloanplanner.com, we have plenty of blog posts specific to lawyers. Uh, you know, we, we try to make sure that we're really, really in tune, not only with just people who have six-figure student debt, but in the various professions, everyone has different, you know, things that they need to think about, different career paths and different choices to make. So we have a whole giant section of blog posts specifically for lawyers um, that, that you can check out too. But I would say anyone who's looking to, to take the leap um, definitely should get a consult to make sure that they know what, you know, what their options are, yeah. what their best long-term strategy is and what the best short-term strategy is if they're planning to get ready for that. Yeah. Um, it, it is just, it is just so important. And aside from just knowing the numbers, we hear a lot about, uh, and we've gotten almost 800 reviews from, from people who've done consults with me, average like a 4.9 star out of five star rating. Um, just saying, oh my gosh, the peace of mind, the clarity of knowing exactly how this works yeah. is just been so beneficial. And, um, so, so it, it's definitely something that we feel it is really, um, able to help people with get the clarity around their student loans rather than having it weigh on them and helps yeah. them feel much better about designing their career the way they want it, uh, as opposed to having the student loans dictate the career that they are, that they're able to take. Yeah, absolutely. I'm all about designing things on purpose rather than sort of being a victim to things that just happened to you <laughs> along <laughs> For sure. loans being one of those in this case. So, well, thank you so much, Rob. I really appreciate your taking the time to be on. I think this was really helpful, informative, and ultimately really like hopeful and empowering. That's, that's, that's the message I, I get from this. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no question. So yeah, thanks so much for having me, Megan. And, and uh, I, I really appreciate being on.